And uh, in just a few moments, we're going to be we're going to be in the book of Acts today, several places. Uh, if you want to try and, and keep up with me, I'll, I'll be reading a lot of verses and you may want to just jot some of these references down today, especially if the topic that we're talking about is something that uh, you've wondered about. And I would dare say that it probably is for a lot of the people in the room today. The topic that I want to talk about is something that maybe you've thought about and, and wondered about or questioned. And uh, to be quite honest, I would dare say in this room, there's probably uh, some that have thought both positively and negatively about the topic that we're going to talk about. And last week was Pentecost Sunday. And we said in that message, if you could kind of boil it down to one sentence, that Pentecost has always been about intentionally moving towards the presence of God and all that God has for us. From the first Pentecost, when uh, God had instituted that feast of weeks and the farmers would take uh, the barley harvest and they would go on Pentecost Sunday towards the presence of God. It has from that beginning been a day and a time where we pursue the presence of God and all that he has for us. And so last week, we began uh, this little mini-series by talking about the baptisms that the Bible communicates are available to every believer. And last week, specifically, we spent the majority of our time talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to be intentional that uh, you understand we're talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit because there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about the difference last week, that there are three different baptisms. One is a baptism of salvation. That when you're saved, the Bible says that we are all baptized into one body by one spirit. So the Holy Spirit baptizes us into a relationship with Jesus and into the body of Christ. That would be a baptism of the Holy Spirit, salvation. But then there's another baptism that we're all familiar with in the church, and that's water baptism. That's an outward expression of an inward commitment. We've already made Jesus the Lord of our life. We've already prayed the sinner's prayer. We're walking with Jesus and then we get baptized in water. And that moment signifies something incredible that happens in our lives. As we uh, illustrate for the world that the old man, the sinful nature in me, is dead and gone. Behold, a new man has come up out of the water. Even as we come up out of the water, we're saying publicly, I'm washed I'm clean, I'm a new creation. There's a process of sanctification that God is making me more and more like Jesus. And then the third baptism. The third baptism is not a baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the one who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit is Jesus Jesus is the baptizer. He's the one who said, it's good that I go away unless I go away. The comforter, the counselor, in other words, another just like me cannot come. John said this. John uh, said, "I, I baptize you with water leading to repentance, but there is one coming after me who will baptize you with the spirit and with fire. Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. And so we talked about those three different baptisms. If you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you, go on our website and listen to that message and and let it just uh, speak to your heart and life about the difference in those baptisms. But here's what you need to know today, that the Bible does reveal that there are three different baptisms and that they're available for everyone who believes. It's not an an elite thing. It's not something that's for a select group of believers. It's certainly not something that was just for the apostles or for the first century church or something that ended when the canon of Scripture was closed. It's something that is available for every believer then and now. And so today I want to spend the majority of the time that we have left, I want to talk about this third baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk about the benefits of, of it. I want to talk about receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And again, I want to be intentional with my words. Receiving the Holy Spirit is a proper way to say it. Because that's what it means. To be baptized in the Spirit means to receive something from God. The Spirit baptism is a gift. It's not like a, a spiritual merit badge that you earn. Uh, it, it's, not, it's not something that you uh, practice and get good at. It's a gift. You don't have to do anything to get a gift except to receive 
the gift. And, and there's some people, I've heard them, and maybe you have too, that they talk about uh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit uh, as an experience, and they say, I got it. Or maybe they'll ask, did you get it? Did you get it? Well, I want to be clear today. You don't get it because we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is the person of God. He's a person. He's not an it. So we don't get it. We're receiving more of God when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and really, baptism in the Spirit is less about you getting anything and really more about you yielding and letting God get more of you. And so when we receive the Holy Spirit, we open our hearts up and we allow the Spirit of God to impart something into our lives. So we receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you another reason why it's important and correct to say, I receive the Holy Spirit. Because when you got baptized into salvation... When, when Jesus saved you, you, you prayed a prayer, and, and obviously I'm speaking to a Christian experience today. If, if you don't know the Lord and you're just here kind of checking this thing out and listening, you're getting like a, a, a backdoor experience, okay? You're getting to see the things that God has in store for you, but you can't bypass this first baptism of salvation. There, there's no other way that God, a man can come to God except through the name of Jesus, right? That's what the word says. No other name written under heaven by which men must be saved. But when you got saved, how did you receive that salvation? It was by faith, right? It was by faith. You, you didn't do anything to receive it. You accepted it. You embraced it. You, you received the gift of salvation from God. What about, what about water baptism? Same thing. When you got baptized, if you've been baptized in water, you... You received that. I hope you did anyway. I mean, could you imagine what it would be like if I was trying to baptize you in water and you wouldn't receive it? I'd be wrestling you to the ground. I mean, I'm pretty sure I could still baptize the kids, but, you know, I mean, I baptized Corey not too many months ago. And, and if he wouldn't receive it, I don't think I could have baptized him. I mean, it would have been a, it would have been a fight. No, no, no. You yield. You yield to it and you receive it and you accept that. And that's the way it is. It's funny. I've seen people that say they want to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it, they won't yield. They won't receive from God. They're fighting it. They're, you know, it's like they're waiting for God to come and dunk them or something. Like, it doesn't happen that way. So it's important that we understand what this is to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We, we receive it. So I just want to be clear right at the introduction of this message that the goal for today is not to get something. You know, I, oh, I want to get something. I want an experience or a feeling or an emotion. I want to get something. That's not the goal. And, and I can promise you the goal today is for, not for something to get you. Because <laughs> some people think that about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You start talking about, you know, that and man, something's going to like get on me. And I don't want anything on me. And so we just kind of, you know, drift to the back when the altar call comes. The goal is not for something to get you. The goal today is really the same as it was last Sunday. When I said last Sunday that Pentecost has always been about pursuing the presence of God and everything that he has for you. The goal for today, hear, hear my heart, the goal for today is that you and I, that every one of us would pray this prayer in our heart to say, Jesus, I want everything that you want for me. How many of you know that's a safe prayer? He's a good God. He loves you. He created you in his own image. He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly the moment you need it. And can I just say, I've seen people that have left the altar frustrated because they didn't get something from God and they thought they did something wrong. Well, can I tell you, it doesn't matter if it's uh, the baptism of salvation or if it's baptism in the Holy Spirit. We receive it by faith. We receive it by faith. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not waiting for something uh, to, to happen that I go, okay, now I got it. No, I can pray and I can receive by faith, and I can receive the work that God wants for my life. So my heart is this, that we would all pray and say, Jesus, I want whatever you want for my life. And can I guess, I just want to challenge you right here because I, I can feel some of you might, there's like this pushback in your spirit. You're, eh, this is a setup. I, listen, if, if you're afraid for any reason to receive something that the Bible clearly communicates God has for you, You've probably been introduced to some false teaching 
Or maybe you've had an experience that, that instilled fear in your heart and life. So I, I just want to challenge you to open your heart and your mind right here and say, God, I want whatever you want for me. And I want to promise you, the Holy Spirit has more for you. And last week, and I, I won't go back to it again, but last week we talked about how over and over Jesus talked about something that was coming. He talked to, to saved people, people that already knew Jesus, people that already walked with Jesus, people who had in fact ministered in the power of Jesus, raising uh, up sick people and, and casting out devils and doing supernatural stuff. He told those people to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. He said, there's something more. There's something else that I want for you. The Holy Spirit is coming and he wants to baptize the church. And so I, I want to just encourage you today. Because it's so easy for us to, so easy for us to limit, to limit what God can do based off of, of our perception. Yeah, I, I don't want to meddle on this point too long, but I, I was just thinking about this a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and I heard someone make this commentary about uh, uh, the politics that are going on. Obviously, it's an election year, and and uh, you, you've maybe noticed. Uh, one of the, the strategies of, of the Republican frontrunner of the candidate now, Donald Trump, is to, to give little nicknames to people. You know, like it was Lying Ted and Little Marco. And he was very consistent at, at every time he would say someone's name. And now he's moved over to the Democratic side and he's always got little nicknames. And, 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 and I heard someone make this comment that was pretty astute. And I don't know if this is his intention or not, but it seems to be working. But the comment was this, if I can define you, I can confine you. I can make people see you in a certain light. And so consistently, I'm going to define you as something so that I can define you. And I think that's what's happened with the Holy Spirit in the church. A lot of times, as soon as we hear about the, the gifts of the Spirit or the baptism of the Spirit or, or uh, the, the prayer language of speaking in tongues or any of those things, immediately we go to a default definition. And you can find what the Spirit of God wants to do in your life. I want to say before we even get any, uh, too deep into this today, that there is a moment, there is a moment in all of this where I have to set my understanding aside. See, my heart today is to teach you. My heart today is to, to be a good shepherd and feed the sheep. I want to impart truth to you. But as I do that, th there's even a resistance in my own spirit to, to not be fixated or dependent upon you understanding fully. Because here's the thing. We're talking about something and someone who is supernatural. The Holy Spirit is supernatural. He, he's mysterious. He is Greater, The Bible says, God said, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So there is a moment where we move from, from uh, understanding to impartation. We move to faith. We move to receiving from God. And, and as we speak through the word today, I want you to just, again, just let your heart be softened and, and push back from any confining uh, perception that you might have of who the Spirit of God is and how he operates in the church and let's just let God's word stand on its own legs today. Amen. So we're going to go to the word of God and I just want to speak to you about some patterns that I see in the word of God about uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now last week, before we go to Acts, last week I, I answered a question and the question that one of the questions I answered was, do you have to speak in tongues to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I, I want to revisit those answers. But I want to rephrase the question. The question the way I want to ask it this week is simply. Why should I even want to speak in tongues? And the Bible tells us. And I'll just give you these briefly. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 14. In verse 4. That if I pray in a tongue. My spirit prays. My spirit prays. And I just want to echo what we said last week. Your spirit wants to pray. Your spirit wants to connect with God. We're defined as, as a three part, as, as body, soul, and spirit. We understand that the physical element of the body and, and the soul is the mind, will, and emotions. That's where we operate, you know. Sometimes uh, our body participates in worship because our soul feels like worshiping. Our mind, our will, and our emotions, we're, we're engaged. But how many of you know that sometimes we worship even when our soul doesn't feel like worship? 
Because Jesus said the, the, the Father is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Not just soul, in spirit and in truth. My spirit is my inner man. Regardless of what my emotions feel, my spirit connects with God. And the Bible says when we speak in tongues, our spirit prays. Here's another reason that you might want to be filled with the Spirit. Because the Bible says, uh, not only does your spirit pray, but then when we pray in tongues, or in um, the, the, the Greek word is glossolalia, it's just uh, uttered inspired speech. But when we pray in that prayer language, not only um, does our spirit pray, but the Bible says it edifies us. It, in other words, it builds us up. That might be the only reason you need today. I mean, honestly, I can't live your life with Jesus, but in my life, if there's something that the Bible says I can do to build up my faith, I need that. And the Bible says this, it says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. It builds us up. It probably has to do with the fact that we are praying in a way that is not encumbered by our, by our mind, will, and emotions. Because in the same way, sometimes I don't feel like singing, I don't feel like praising, there's times I don't feel like praying. There's times my emotions are not in the right place. My mind is not in the right place. My will is not even in the right place sometimes. Jesus wrestled in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, God, if there's any way you can take this cup from me, let it pass. But what do he say? Not my will, but yours be done. Listen, if Jesus, the perfect Son of God, struggled with his will... How many of you know I got issues? He struggled with laying down his will and accepting the will of the Father. That's why it's such a blessing to me that I can pray in in a heavenly language. I can pray in tongues in my personal prayer time. And it edifies me. It builds me up because regardless of what my soul or my body might be feeling or thinking, my spirit is built up. Another reason that my spirit's built up is because the Bible says when we pray in the spirit, we pray the will of God. And so I I begin to align myself with God's perfect plan for my life. So I want to show you five different places in the scripture, and I'll try to move through these quickly. Five different places in the book of Acts where we see a, a pattern develop of how the Holy Spirit baptizes the church. And the first one is in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. So I'm going to start reading in the first verse, and this is kind of piggybacking off of last week, but this is a good place to start because if you follow the law of first mention in Scripture, if you want to understand something in Scripture, just go back to the first place it was mentioned. That's usually a good pattern to follow. And so if you want to understand the baptism in the Holy Spirit, let's go to the first place where it happens. And look at it with me in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now what we've read so far is a unique experience. It's something that you don't see replicated throughout the New Testament. That on the day of Pentecost, this was a significant moment, and, and I'm not going to take the time today to unpack all of the fulfillments that we see on this day out of the Old Testament. But let me just give you one of them. One of them was when Solomon built the temple. In the Old Testament, he built the temple, and the Bible says that all the people had gathered to worship, and, and the priests were there, and the Bible says there was 120 trumpeters and they all blasted the trumpet and when they blasted the sound the bible says the presence of god filled that place the spirit of god filled that place in the form of a cloud and the bible says it was so powerful in that moment that the priests could no longer perform their duties now i don't know if that just means the cloud was visibly thick and they couldn't see to perform their duties or if it means they all just fell out under the power of God I I don't know but it was so powerful in that moment that they could no longer do what they had intended to do in the worship service they just had to stop and acknowledge that God is here and so we see now on the day of Pentecost again 120 people are gathered together and it's not the sound of trumpets that you hear but the blast 
comes from heaven. And the Bible says they heard the sound like the blowing of a violent, mighty wind that came and it filled the whole house. And this time, instead of all of the the house being filled, the Bible says in the New Testament, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so the people are now filled. And they began to speak with new tongues. Look at verse 4, because this is the part of the day of Pentecost that we see that begins a pattern. Verse 4 says, All of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Spirit enabled them. Now, I want to just take a moment and I want to differentiate something. Last week, we talked about the gift of the Spirit Uh, the gift of tongues in the church. And in 1 Corinthians 12, the Bible talks about the different gifts in the church. What I just need you to, to get this morning as we read through these texts is that there is a distinct difference in the Word of God between the gift of tongues, which is to be used in a public worship setting, Maybe you've been in a service and you've heard that gift used where somebody spoke in, in, in a language that you'd never heard before. Or maybe they spoke in, in not tongues of men, but tongues of angels. And, and, it, and it just sounded almost like gibberish to you. And you're going, what is that? And then somebody else interpreted that. Paul speaks extensively in 1 Corinthians 14 about that gift and how it's to be operated in the church. And he also communicates that not everybody has that gift. So I want you to know that I'm not talking about that gift of tongues for the corporate worship setting. What I'm talking about is something different. On the day of Pentecost, the Bible says they were all together and they all were filled and they all spoke with other tongues. I want to show you how that's different from the gift. Uh, 1 Corinthians, that verse that I mentioned to you, is in chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it, it says this. Now, to each one... The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given the Spirit, through the Spirit, a message of wisdom. That's a gift of the Spirit. To another, the gift of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith. Skipping down, verse 10 says, To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. He's talking about all the different gifts in the body of Christ for the local Uh, gathering of believers. And he says, and still to another, the interpretation of tongues. Then verse 12 says this, all these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one as he determines. What that sounds like and, and what it is, is the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation. The Bible says the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church. You have a gifting in your life. The Holy Spirit has gifted you and equipped you to be a blessing to the body of Christ. And he outlines an example. It's not an all-inclusive list, but he gives examples. Some of these gifts include the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. But if that's what happened on the day of Pentecost, then it would read differently. It would say, it would say on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place and the Spirit fell and they were all filled and some spoke with tongues, and some received the gift of wisdom, and and some people had knowledge, and some people had discerning of spirits, because there's a multitude of gifts. But that's, that's not what it says. It says that they all received the Holy Spirit, and what they received, this baptism in the Holy Spirit, the evidence of it, is a personal prayer language. They received an ability to pray without the limitation of their native language. That's what they received on the day of Pentecost. And what I want to suggest to you is that in all of these places in the book of Acts, in the word of God, there's a pattern. There's a pattern for what happens when people receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So go to Acts chapter 8 really quick. Acts chapter 8 verse 14 through 17 tells us of another situation where the Spirit is poured out. Acts chapter 8, this is uh, Philip the evangelist. He's gone down to Samaria, which 
the gospel had not gone to Samaria yet. And he goes down and he, and he preaches the word to them. And uh, people, get, people get saved. And, and, you know, people are responding to his ministry. And, and the Bible says in verse 14 of chapter 8, that when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Verse 15, when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. You see, he's talking about two separate baptisms. They already were saved. They're new believers. They're Christians. They're going to heaven. But now they're going to pray that they receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, look down at at verse 18. Well, actually, let, let's, let's stay right there. I, w- I want you to see verse 17. It says, Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, now what that doesn't say is they received the Holy Spirit, and they all spoke with other tongues. So some people would be really quick to say, See, that's not, that's not a part of receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But I want you to look at the text with me, and I want you to... To see exactly what happened here. It says they laid hands on him and they all received the Holy Spirit. Look at the next verse. Verse 18 says, when Simon, now I didn't give you the backstory, but Simon was a magician who swayed the crowds with his magic. And he saw what they were doing and he got saved. But now it says in verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and he said give me also the ability so that everyone on whom i lay my hands may receive the spirit i'm going to slow down and just say that first part again it said when simon saw that the spirit of god was given what did he see if they laid hands on him and and they received the holy spirit he saw something that means there was something that happened in the natural. And we don't have to guess what that is because when we go back to the day of Pentecost and all of those 120 are filled with the Spirit and then the crowd gathers around him and you know the story. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he begins to preach. He begins to proclaim the Word of God. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 33, here's what he says. Exalted to the right hand of God, he, Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So go back to that first mention. And and Peter preaches and he says, spirit baptism is a show and tell experience. He says, what, what has just happened is Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father, has baptized them with the Holy Spirit. This is what you're seeing and hearing. And then you move over to Acts 8, and it says when they laid hands on them, this man Simon saw that they received the Holy Spirit. There's another phrase in, in Acts uh, chapter 8. It's in verse 16. We read it, but I just want to look at it again because... Uh, This really isn't the best translation of the words, but it says in verse 16, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. And and that's not really a strong enough interpretation of the Greek. And maybe you have a different translation, and maybe in this case it's a better translation, because really what, what he was saying is the Holy Spirit had not fallen upon them. Now It's fine to say that the Holy spirit hadn't come on them, but there's, there's more of a weightiness when he says the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen upon them. It's the same word that the Bible uses when Jesus tells the story about the prodigal son coming home in Luke 15. And the Bible says he ran to the father and he fell on his neck and he embraced him. He falls on his father. That's what the Holy Spirit does in Acts chapter 8. It's the same word that's used in Acts chapter 20 when a young man named Eutychus falls asleep in a window because Paul was preaching too long. The Bible says he falls out of the window in the street and dies. And Paul goes running down the stairs and falls on him. Same word. He falls on him and gives him spiritual resuscitation and raises him back to life. Same word of what happens when the Spirit falls on the church. It's the same word that's used in Acts chapter 20 when 
Peter, when Paul is getting ready to leave Ephesus and the Bible says there on the beach, they clung to him and they fell on his neck and they didn't want to see him leave. The Holy Spirit, Acts 8.16 says, hadn't fallen on them yet, but he's about to. And they lay their hands on him. And something happens and the Bible says Simon saw it. There's another place in in Acts chapter 10 and, and we'll get there in a minute, but... In Acts chapter 10, Peter is at Cornelius' house. He's at this man's house and verse 44 says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon them that heard the message. The Holy Spirit came upon them. It's the same word. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. Go with me to Acts chapter 9. Because I want to show you another story. As the gospel is spreading, can can I just... Pause here and just make an observation. If you take the baptism in the Holy Spirit out of the story, you don't have much of a book left in the book of Acts. As the gospel is expanding, so is the baptism in the Spirit. In fact, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this. It says, after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And if you read through these stories that we're talking about today, the baptism of the Holy Spirit literally follows Acts 1.8. It's an outline for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. First, it starts in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. In Jerusalem, then it goes to Judea, then it goes to Samaria, and then it's going to end up in Acts 19 with Paul in Ephesus, the uttermost parts of the earth, people that are far from God. So the baptism in the Holy Spirit is, is advancing with the gospel. And it says this in Acts chapter 9. That's the story, and we won't take time to read all of it, but this is the story of Paul's conversion. He was Saul of Tarsus. He was on his way on the Damascus road to persecute Christians. Many of you are familiar with that story, and and he's struck down on the road by the Lord. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus show up, and he's struck down on the road, and the Bible says the light was so bright that it blinded his eyes, and for three days he was blind, and he was praying. And God speaks to a man named Ananias to go and to speak to Paul, or Saul rather. He hadn't gone by Paul yet, but he goes to speak to him. And here's what it says. Look at verse 17 with me, Acts 9, verse 17 and 18. It says, then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. This is the house where Saul was staying. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, verse 18 says, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. Something incredible happened in that moment. Ananias said, I've come to lay hands on you so that you can receive your sight and so that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're paying really close attention, you you might have noticed, though, that it doesn't say that Saul began to speak with other tongues. But it says in that moment he received a miracle. As the Spirit fell on him, he received a miracle. He could see again. And so, again, there might be some people that would say, see, Holy Spirit baptism, speaking in tongues, they're not necessarily connected because you don't have to speak with tongues or even be enabled to speak with tongues to be full of the Spirit. But I want to remind you of what this same man, Saul, said later on when he wrote to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, same guy, he said, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. He said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. And in Acts chapter 19, there's a fifth illustration. And it has to do with this same man. Saul, who's now going by the name Paul, as God has sent him to be a messenger to the Gentiles. So look quickly with me at one more illustration. If you, if you doubted his spirit baptism back in Acts chapter 9, you can look in Acts 19 and you can see his conviction that certainly leads out of his own personal experience. In Acts chapter 19, he finds some people who have been believers for 25 years. 
But the only message they had received was the message that John the Baptist had preached. Before Jesus started his ministry, John came preaching repentance. He was baptizing people out in the, in the wilderness. They received that message and they had been faithfully serving God for 25 years when Paul finds these people. They, they, they never knew about the, the one that was to come after John. They never knew about uh, the, the redemption that Jesus paid for or that the Spirit was coming to baptize people. And so, so here's what the Word says in Acts chapter 19 verse 1. Paul took the road through the interior and he arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and he asked them, verse 2, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one that was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. Can you imagine being in that story? He's going, man, Jesus, he came. He, he ministered for three years. Where you guys been? He preached. It was awesome. And then they crucified him. And then he rose from the dead. And, and then he went to heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit. He's catching these guys up. And then it says in verse 5, On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues. And prophesied. So again we see the Holy Spirit coming. And then they manifested this incredible prayer language. This ability to pray in the Spirit. And though Paul didn't say specifically in Acts 9. That he prayed with an unknown language at the moment he received the Holy Spirit. We see that this is the pattern through his own ministry. Five different accounts. And, and I, may, I think I skipped over one in Acts chapter 10. If you're a note taker. There's another story there. In Acts chapter 10, but I, I won't go back to it. You can read it in your own time. Acts 10, 44 through 46. That again, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles. The Bible says they heard them speaking in unknown tongues. There's five different occasions here where Jesus baptizes the church. Three of those occasions explicitly say they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They spoke with other tongues. A fourth occasion says that and it was Paul's experience that he later said, I, I speak in tongues more than all of you. The fifth occasion says that it was the scenario in Samaria. And when the spirit fell, this Simon, this magician, he was so wowed. He was so enamored by what he saw that he asked if he could buy the ability to give people the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And of course... That's when Peter turned around and rebuked him and said, let your money perish with you. You can't buy the gift of God. And it's true. You can't buy the gift of God. Simon was looking for some outward manifestation. He just wanted a trick. And can I just tell you, the Holy Spirit's not into doing tricks. The Holy Spirit doesn't show up in the presence of God's people to entertain us. And can I just say, if, if spirit baptism or being Pentecostal or, or any of that has become about some emotional entertaining experience then we have missed the weight of that baptism. You know, it's funny. I've heard people that have, you know, made comments before to where, you know, they, they would leave a church service where maybe we were worshiping and singing and, and then we just got to praying and we never got to the message and we just worshiped and we prayed and they go, man, the Holy Spirit moved today. That was awesome. Nothing wrong with that when that happens. Praise God. He moves. But the problem is when they can't discern that, the next Sunday, when we worship for about 20 minutes and then the pastor gets up and teaches the word of God, they're going, yeah, it just wasn't, wasn't a good Sunday. The Holy Spirit didn't really move today. Because they've associated the presence of the Holy Spirit with their emotions. Well, if it feels good, I mean, if the music's jamming, if people are up and running, and you see some of that uh, ecstatic activity. And I just want to tell you, there's nowhere, nowhere in the Word of God that the Bible says the Holy Spirit is coming to give you an emotional experience. Now, here's what does happen. You're an emotional being. And the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
doesn't take over you. You don't slip into some catatonic state where the Holy Spirit does something out of your control. The Holy Spirit comes upon you and you and I are emotional people. And so it should be expected that, hey, there's going to be an emotional response. I've stood in the baptistry with people and after they came up out of the waters of baptism, there was an emotional response. They began to tear up and I saw their, their lips stammering. There's certainly an emotional experience when we come to an altar and we feel the relief of Jesus forgiving our sins, of, of saving us, that, that baptism of salvation. There's an emotional response. You know, this is just an observation, but here's what I've noticed. That people that are really emotional people tend to be really emotional when they receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And usually people that are more reserved and, and quiet and conservative... They tend to be that way when they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not always the case, but that tends to be the case. And and I've seen that over and over again. Why? Because when the Spirit comes upon a believer, they come upon that believer. They don't take over that believer. They don't make that believer something they're not. You know, it's kind of like the analogy I shared earlier with somebody saying, I want to be baptized in water, but I I refuse to go under. And a lot of people, they come seeking the Holy Spirit that way. They go, okay, God, if, you want, if this is what you want, I want what you want, do it. And they just stand there, you know, with a stiff lip and locked knees and go, give it your best shot. If this is what you want for me, do it. And it doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit wants to enable, enable, enable you. That, that's what we read in the first mention of the baptism in the holy spirit i want to just go back to that spot again acts chapter 2 it says in verse 4 in verse 4 all of them all of them were filled with the holy spirit and began let me just pause right there they began to speak with other tongues you know, here, here's something I've experienced. You know, when you've been around church for a while and you've been around church people and maybe you've even heard people praying in tongues and, and they've, been, they've had this prayer language they've been cultivating for years. They, they, they could like, you know, they could say Paul the Apostle's verse. I pray in tongues more than you all. And you hear them and you're like, wow. And then you say, okay, Holy Spirit, I just want, I just want a fresh infilling. I just want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. And then... Exactly what Acts 2, 4 says begins to happen. The Holy Spirit enabled them and they began. And so you you begin to hear the Spirit of God speak inside of your heart. Maybe it's just a couple syllables. And immediately you move out of your spirit back into your soul, your mind, your will and your emotions. And you start thinking, well, that doesn't sound anything like what that person's saying. And and immediately we get lockjaw. And we we don't allow the Spirit to... To speak through it. So I want you to understand what happened in that moment. It says they began to speak. And for some people, that, that, that's just where you need to start. You just need to allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. And, and I'm going to end with a verse of Scripture that says what happens in that moment. But, but as the Spirit fills you, you just begin. You just begin to, to pray. And, and it, it's like when, when your children were little and they began to speak in what was to them a foreign language. They didn't know how to talk yet, but they were hearing it and they were trying to learn it and they just began to just jibber jabber and they're just, you know, they're talking and you're going, I don't understand what they're saying. But they do. They're just they're just trying to communicate. But you begin, and then here's here's the next part of that verse. It says they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. He enabled them to do it. Can I just say, the Holy Spirit prays through you, but He doesn't pray for you. There, there's, there's no gift that works that way. You know, like the gift of generosity, the Holy Spirit doesn't give for you. You know, money doesn't just jump out of your pocket. You're like, hey, I have the gift of generosity. It doesn't happen that way. You have to yield you have to surrender and allow the Holy Spirit to enable you, whatever that gifting is. 
And it's the same with our personal prayer language. When the Holy Spirit begins to baptize us in the Spirit, and we begin to just sense prayer, prayer from our spirit. Paul called it groanings and tongues of angels. And we begin to hear those words. There's never going to be a moment where the Holy Spirit is going to reach down and shake your tongue, make you say something that you don't want to say. He's not, he's not going to lead you in that way, but he will enable you. Now, now, let me just make a comment here because I've seen a lot of people that have actually prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and there was so much emphasis on the initial physical evidence of speaking with other tongues that they didn't speak in tongues. And so they left the service disappointed, not just disappointed, but feeling like they failed somehow. Can I just go back to where we began and say the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a gift? It's a gift. You can't fail at receiving the gift. And yet time and time again, I've seen people, they, they come and they, they pray in the altar and, and people are trying to help them. You know, like you can work it out of them or something. You know, like, come on, come on, just, just pray. You know, I, I, don't, I don't hear anything. It's not happening. And they get frustrated. Here's what the Bible says. And I, I do believe in the initial physical evidence. The Bible says that they were enabled. God will give you the ability. Now, for you, some of us, that just clicks. I mean, in a moment, it just clicks. And we just begin to pray in the Spirit. And boy, that's an exciting moment. You go, wow. But for others, it's in there. It's in there. And maybe it's your soul. Maybe it's your mind, will, and emotions that won't unlock it. Maybe, maybe it's a, a preconceived idea of what it's supposed to sound like or what it's supposed to do. Or maybe you're just waiting for God to do too much instead of just yielding and letting the spirit speak through here's what the bible says the holy spirit enables you here's what i don't believe i don't believe because you don't respond by speaking in unknown utterances that the holy spirit is not faithful i don't think the holy spirit's looking down going yeah i'll give the gift to him but not to her no no jesus wants you to be full of his spirit and he enables us to speak and we said this last week, I'll say it again. You don't have to speak with tongues to go to heaven. Not at all. Why would you even want to do that then? Because the Bible says it builds me up. It encourages me. Because it's, the Bible says I can, I can pray the will of God when I pray in the Spirit. Now listen, we, we're short on time, but I want to just close by, by just giving you a, a little bit of instruction because here, I want, I want to end the way we start. I want to encourage you to have this prayer in your heart that says, Jesus, I want whatever you want for me. And here's what I believe. I believe that Jesus wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of being able to speak with other tongues. You may never have the gift of tongues. You may never be able to stand up and, and speak in, in a language that, understand and have somebody interpret it the bible is clear that that's a unique gift some people have it to be quite honest i have i've used that gift before but i don't operate in it often now the bible says that we should desire the gift so i'm open i still want god to speak through me in that way but i don't personally operate that way very often some of you may but here's what i believe the spirit of god wants to give you a personal prayer language he wants to fill you with his spirit. And I want to encourage you to, to seek everything that Jesus has for you. So here's the final instruction I just want to give you. How, how do we be filled? And we're, going to, we're just going to take a couple moments. We won't be long, but we're going to take a couple moments and we're going to pray together. So I'm going to ask the worship team if you guys would just come and just begin to play lightly. Just to create an atmosphere. You understand? The Holy Spirit comes where he's celebrated, not where he's tolerated. We just want to create an atmosphere of expectation. I believe God wants to move on some of your hearts. But how, how do I receive? How do I receive this gift? Call on the Lord. Same way we receive salvation, we call on the Lord. So I, I just want to give you a quick acrostic for the word call. The Bible says the C is for this. Confess all known sin 
We understand that sin separates us from God. That's fundamental to us being saved. We recognize we're sinners. We ask God to cleanse us of sin. So the first thing we do when we say, Jesus, I want more of you. I want more from you. I need to remove every barrier in my life. That's the starting place. And I just want to encourage you today. That's where we begin. Say, Jesus, if there's anything in my life, any sin, God, I I repent of it. God, I confess my sin to you. I want to come clean today. I want to come clean today. Here's the second thing that we do. A. The A in call is ask for the gift. You can ask him for the gift. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 7. He said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, he said, will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He'll give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So the A is simply ask. Ask him for the Holy Spirit. James said this. James said, you have not because you ask not. Here's the first L. Long to be used by God. This, this has to do with a heart issue. This is not about emotion. It's not about experience or spiritual doodads running up and down your back. This, this is a desire. Here's why Jesus to the disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit. Because he said... You will receive power to be my witnesses. You know why we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because we want to be used by God. If you don't want to be used by God, okay, that's fine. But Jesus said, after you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll be effective witnesses. And so here's, here's where the desire of our heart comes in. Long to be used by God. Not, not, not to say, God, give me tongues. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we're to come seeking tongues we're to seek the holy spirit say god i want to be used by you and and jesus is the baptizer so we're not we're not seeking an experience we're seeking jesus we're saying jesus fill me with your holy spirit and the second l stands for this lift up praise for the answer because the same way that you received salvation by faith We receive spirit baptism by faith. Now, what if you came and you asked Jesus to come into your heart and you prayed the prayer and then you said amen and then you refused to accept the fact that you were saved until you saw some outward manifestation? I mean, I've heard testimony. Some people, they come stumbling in the church drunk and they get saved and in a moment they're sober and in their right mind. Praise God for when that happens. That's awesome. God can do that. But there's also plenty of times that I know that people came into the church. They had addictions. They had struggles. They gave their life to Jesus. In a moment, they were saved. They still had to overcome their habits and their addictions and their struggles. And so when we receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, boom, it might happen. You might just like tap into a prayer language. And and it's powerful and it's awesome. But if that doesn't happen, begin to lift up thanks and praise anyway. Because the Spirit hides us by grace. You don't earn it. So we're going to pray today. And you might be at a place, you know, you're just going, look, I, you know what, I want to look into this a little bit more. And if that's you, that's fine. But I told you at the beginning of this message that the Holy Spirit, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is really more about being caught than being taught. The Holy Spirit wants to come upon you. And and my struggle has been that there's a moment where my explanation only goes so far. And you just have to begin to receive. So we're going to pray.